as we continue our time of worship. Let us turn to Luke chapter 1. And as you are turning there, I wasn't, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say it, so I'm going to say it. Kyle lost his voice. Poor guy. But I wanted to say that Christy did a phenomenal job stepping in last minute and leading the worship. And the team did a good job, given the circumstances. And I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that it says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I could sense there was joy. And I do not envy Christy stepping into that. That would make me super nervous. Like, I'm an introvert, and this is hard for me. If I were singing, oh my goodness. Lord, have mercy. (laughs) Who said that? I know it was you. Love you. If you will turn in Luke 1, beginning in verse 67, we're going to read through Zechariah's prophecy. And his father, referring to John the Baptist, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophets of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Lord, we come before you, humbled that you chose to come as an infant child, that you chose John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord, that you would make way for us to be restored to right relationship with you. In this Christmas season, let us remember the main thing, that Christ is King. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. His reign shall know no end. It is in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.
Gesundheit. Starting off with the Grinch, and if you are normally going to be with us, now would be the time I generally dismiss our kids, but we have made this a family service, so that's why we chose the Grinch, and we are going to be doing uh, a little bit of trivia more. I don't have any boxes of candy left, but I do have a question for you. In 1957, a guy under the pseudonym of Dr. Seuss, wrote The Grinch. Does anybody know his actual name? Yeah, nobody does, right? It's Dr. Seuss. What's his name? His birthday? That, that would help, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that, so I can't confirm if you're right or wrong, honestly. Oh, it's the same as yours? Great, awesome. It is actually Ted Geisel. And Ted Geisel wrote this book, in uh, uh, actually a poem fashion, and it has obviously been turned into a cartoon in the 60s and a movie in 2000, as well as one in 2020. And we're going to be referring to each of those throughout our message today. And there's some different well-known versions, but one of the things that we need to understand as we even look at this is according to multiple sources, Ted Geisel was actually... Even though he's used by Christians, even though he's quoted in just about every uh, graduation ceremony I've ever gone to, um, he was actually anti-God. As crazy as that is, and you watch some of his movies and read some of his stories, he was anti-God. He was very much more about the human spirit. He was about the human spirit and humans coming together to overcome. Actually, if you listen to the opening song and closing song of the Grinch uh, videos of the Grinch movies. It, it's that uh, Welcome Christmas song. And in it, it says, Christmas Day will always be just as long as we are we. He puts that in there to say that it's us coming together. But even though Dr. Seuss, even though Do- Dr. Seuss thought it was about the human spirit, the truth of the matter is, the Grinch and every other, every other Christmas movie that we're going to talk about over these next five Sundays, as well as probably just about every other Christmas movie that has a decent plot, it really does have a story that points to God. It really does have a message that points to the real meaning of Christmas because almost every single one of them contains a story of grace. A story of grace. Because even though Christmas movies are entertainment, even though they are entertainment, they're also stories. And they're stories that that tell us something about what it means to be human. In our our need and our longing for grace, in in our desire to, to find significance, the struggle that comes with it. People are spiritual beings. People are spiritual beings, so it shouldn't be a surprise to us when God and the spiritual realities come in to our lives through the stories that people tell, whether they are Christians or not. And we'll see those spiritual realities play themselves out. As my family and I have watched our Christmas movies uh, this Christmas season, you might be thinking, well, the Christmas season's only four days old. Well, 
we do a Christmas in July, so we kind of started about then with some of the different things. And so we've watched, and of course, man, I watch Christmas movies uh, routinely. We own them, we love to watch them, we wear them out all the time. But in it all, I have noticed several scenes depicting God or the gospel of grace during the, the, the Christmas movies in some really obvious ways. I'm going to explain a little bit of it and give you some foundation to some of the ones that are out there, not to ruin what we're going to talk about as, as time comes, but one of my top five Christmas movies is, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas. And we're actually not doing that this year. I've had a lot of people go, why aren't we doing this movie? I'm like, listen, there's only five Sundays. I can only choose five movies, and we had to go with the classics. As a matter of fact, the, the newest one we're going with is Home Alone, which will be next week, and that came out in 1990. So that just gives you a little idea of the classics that we're going with. And if this goes well and we do it next year, I'll include the ones you're asking about next time around. But a Charlie Brown Christmas, probably, again, in my top five for sure. But it's basically about Charlie Brown finding out that the, the Christmas season is all about hype and not about hope. And, and he's frustrated about it, and he wants to know why he's depressed at that time of year. And we, he knows he should be happy, and he goes to all these different characters throughout, and they're all pointing him in different directions, and every one of the ways they point him, it falls short. Until he gets so frustrated, he throws up his arms in the air, and he gives that question that so many of you probably have seen. You've seen through the, the movie, through the, the video, the uh, TV specials if you were young and you watched it at that point in time, what's the question that he asks? Is there anybody that can tell me what Christmas is all about? And who steps up? Linus. Linus steps up and he records and says the gospel story, the birth story in Luke chapter 2, and he lays it all out. The story of God entering into the darkness and becoming one of us to bring us life, peace, hope, and joy. And what a beautiful story it is. It's the only answer that, that Charlie Brown can find that is sufficient for to find the true meaning of Christmas. It's a great story, and I just love the fact that ABC used to put it on every year. A movie we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, It's a Wonderful Life. There's a story of grace. And by the way, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to talk about each one of these movies. If you haven't watched them, you've had a lot of time. So I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You have more time to catch up and be able to watch them ahead of time. But it's a wonderful life. If you've seen it, you know that George Bailey's a banker. He works for his uncle, and his uncle loses the deposit. And in the process, there's a guy in town that wants to overrun the bank. He wants to run the finances of the town. He wants to make it his own thing. He wants to turn it into Pottersville and all of this. Well, when his uncle loses the money, they blame George. George is supposed to go to jail. Again, if I'm spoiling it for you, I apologize. Uh, but he basically comes to a place where he wishes he was never born. And I just made that real long story short. At this low point, this angel enters into his life and starts speaking hope into him and leads him to a perspective change. And in the film's climactic scene, the picture of grace that we see because George goes to his house and all of these people start giving of themselves freely and giving of their finances freely, realizing that, that George, even though he was in debt, even though he should have gone to jail, even though all of those things, people did it on their own. He couldn't earn it. He couldn't pay it back. And in it all, we see this picture of grace. And they didn't do it 
because they did it begrudgingly. They did it with joy. That's exactly what we see with Christ when he gives of his life for us. Even though George was hopeless, he received help. Even though he was trapped, he got rescued. That is grace. A movie we're going to talk about also on Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve is when they run it 24-7, so we need to go ahead and talk about it on that day. And that is going to be a Christmas story. Ralphie's dad. You probably know Ralphie's dad if you've seen it. Old man Parker, unlike God in so many ways. Often distant, often impersonal, often uninterested in what the rest of the family is doing. But even though he gets angry, even though he strings together much profanity, muffled throughout the movie, models bad behavior that Ralphie also picks up, despite his faults, there's a few moments of tenderness where we see the great love of a father depicting the great love of our father. When he has that special gift stuck in next to the piano, after all the other gifts were open, Ralphie's disappointed because the whole entire movie he's wanted this one special gift. In case you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it for you yet. Um, He wants this one special gift and dad has it over there tucked in the piano. And as Ralphie gets it and he opens it and he begins to beam with joy, his dad, you can feel it as a dad, that you've connected with that right gift. And we think about that, and, and the dad, he, he went over the top to, to make sure that his son was taken care of. And, and I think about our father, who goes over the top to make sure that we are taken care of. Not that we've earned it, not that we deserve it, because you know what? Ralphie has not earned it, and he has not deserved it. The film does a great job at, at really laying out who he is and depicting him that he's not exactly supposed to be on the nice list, especially as he's whooping Scott Farkas. And all of the profanities are coming out. And um, when he's helping his dad change the tire and he drops the queen mother of them all, you see that he is not deserving yet. In grace, he is given. It's not because he's earned it. It's because he is their child. And we realize that as we are God's child, it changes everything. Home Alone that we'll talk about next week. There's a baseline of grace there. Even though it's a very slapstick movie, There's a lot of hidden things in there. One of my favorite scenes is when he goes into the church. In the church in that scene, he sits down with the snow shovel guy. He held old man Marley. And as he sits down with that snow shovel guy, they begin to connect. And you you see in the church that this is a a different thing. And the whole movie is slapstick. But this this scene points to the church in this, this perspective of a, it's a place that is a refuge from a brokenness in this world. It's where everyone is welcome. As a matter of fact, Marley says that. And he's sitting in there and it it offers refreshment and grace to the beaten down and they begin to have a a conversation and a friendship builds. And in that, you begin to see they're both separated from the family they love. One is separated emotionally, one is separated physically. And and Kevin begins to encourage um, the the snow shovel man to reignite his, his... connection with his family to seek forgiveness to seek reconciliation whatever happened in the past needs to get let go don't be afraid because it's worth every penny and he says you just need to be humble and take that step and you see the beauty of forgiveness play out there and you see it play out as well in kevin's life it's a story of grace every one of these the, a christmas carol that's the one we're going to talk about as well that one's obvious no matter what adaptation you watch it's all about the unredeemable being redeemed. 
that there is an opportunity to be redeemed no matter how wicked you are. And you're like, why are you talking about all these other movies? I thought we were doing The Grinch. I wanted to lay the foundation for our series and for this movie that it is all about grace. The grace of God that sent his son to come and take on the flesh of a baby to grow up a perfect life, to live that sinless life so he could be that substitutionary death for us on the cross. It's all about grace. So with that in place, we're going to talk about the Grinch. We're going to talk about the Grinch, and I'm going to date myself with the next statement I make, but back when I first watched the Grinch, it was a special time. And I emphasize the word special for this reason. There were no streaming services. There were no Blu-rays. As a matter of fact, VHS had just made its way onto the scene, and only the rich families had a VHS player to be able to record something off of the TV. You actually had to watch the show when it came on TV. I know, crazy, right? You, you had to be ready. You had to know it was that day. You had to know that the Grinch and other Christmas specials were coming on once a year, and if you missed it, you missed it. But I remember it would say something like this. We now interrupt our regularly scheduled program for and that Christmas special, and you get all excited. And as you got all excited, all of a sudden it would be like, Farule, do, well, I don't know whatever the words are to that song, and you'd be like, it's time for the Grinch. And then Boris Koloff's voice would come on. And he would start reading this. He'd say, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be in his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think all, that most likely reason of all, may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown, at the warm lighted windows below in their town. Now, if you haven't seen this movie in the last 57 years, again, spoiler alert, because I'm going to let you know. The story flows and follows this way. Grinch, our sinister villain, has this plot to steal Christmas from the Who's. Not just the day, but everything that he thought was what Christmas was all about. And he would literally lie, cheat, steal, and destroy to make it happen. That was his joy. That's where he was going to find his pleasure. And guess what? He had nothing to gain from it. It wasn't like he was going to go take all that stuff and go to eBay and sell it all. He wasn't going to go down and hawk at the local pawn shop. He was just going to do what? He was going to dump it from Crumpet, right? He was going to go up to the top and push it over the edge because he wanted to see them in misery. He was so in misery himself, his joy was going to come from bringing people down to his level. That's kind of a weird thing to think about. Throughout the movie, his plan comes together. He gets to the top of Mount Crumpet, and he pauses. He pauses, and he waits to hear the agony. He waits to hear the wailing of an entire town when Christmas morning hits. But if you remember the story, if you remember Boris Karloff reading, this is what happens when the Who's gather together. They find Christmas joy. It says, Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. 
Somehow or another, it came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. This moment changed him. The moment changed him. As a matter of fact, if you watch the cartoon version, his eye color changes. His heart grows three sizes that day. And long story short, everything he does, everything he took, he takes back and he says what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the Who's invite him to celebrate dinner with them. The Grinch finally understands what Christmas is all about, but here's the kicker. No matter which adaptation you watch, the show never explicitly explains what Christmas is all about. All it does is it shows that Christmas is more than presents and decorations. But if you're watching, if you want to pull a Paul Harvey and say, and here's the rest of the story, you'll see it. You'll see the gospel throughout the movie. You'll see salvation throughout the movie, the aspects of each as they come. As a matter of fact, Pastor Bruce read up front, Luke chapter 1, the prophecy of Zechariah as he prophesied over John the Baptist. And I want you to to hear these words again from Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. When Zechariah says these words, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 78 is kind of the highlighted one. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Just reading those couple of verses, those four verses, just from those I see two things that we can see in the Grinch movie that can speak to us today number one is this we are called to be like john the baptist or in the grinch movies we're called to be like cindy lou who and we're supposed to share the message of grace share the message of salvation second is this even the worst of the worst can be saved from the dawn on high will visit us the dawn on high to shine on those who live in the darkness to guide our feet in the ways of peace when Grinch is standing on Mount Crumpet. What is the scene? Do you remember? It's the sun coming up and hitting his face. The dawn on high, shining the light in the darkness as his heart begins to change. Coincidence? I don't know. We'll have to see. Honestly, there's so many aspects of the gospel and so many aspects of salvation that are played out in the the Grinch's life. Let's look at the progression. The first thing I want you to see is this. It starts off with the Grinch being evil. I've already said he had nothing to gain but others' misery. Can I ask you how sick and twisted you have to be to find joy in other people's misery? Think about the evilness of the heart to find joy in other people. You have nothing to gain but to make people feel miserable like you. There's something wrong with that. As a matter of fact, the story says his heart was two sizes too small. Well, it's funny that the good Dr. Seuss would mention the heart because the Bible happens to talk about the heart being a problem where everything starts for everyone. 
that our heart is the issue, that we know before Christ that we have a heart of stone. It's a heart full of evil. It's dead. It's dead to God. Ephesians 2.1 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says we are unable to grasp spiritual things. We can't see them. We are blinded and we live in darkness. John 8.44 says that outside of the family of God is where we live. Well, guess where Grinch was at in his evil? He was outside of the who family. But the worst news is Ephesians 2.3 says we by our very nature are under God's wrath. The cool thing is that first step of the gospel, the first aspect of salvation is this. God calls us out of that. God has called us out of this. That calling is a salvation from the persuasion of sin. And by the way, today we're going to be doing a lot of alliteration. Dr. Seuss did a lot of rhyming. I'll be doing a lot of P words today. Salvation from the persuasion of sin. God is calling us to his saving grace. God has called you to his saving grace and to share his grace, just like Cindy Lou. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Cindy Lou shows grace to the Grinch and chip away at his hard heart. Nobody else was showing him that. Cindy Lou went out of his way. John the Baptist is going and sharing the message of salvation and preparing the way for Christ to come. You know how that speaks to us? We need to be doing the same thing. We need to be taking that grace out and share the gospel message with those who are far from God or even those who are just apathetic towards God. The day will dawn and a heart will change. But how does it start? It starts with a calling and the message of grace going out. That leads to the next aspect or next step, and that is this. It is salvation from the power of sin. Salvation from the power of sin. We call it regeneration to generate again, to give life again, or as the Bible says in John chapter 3, to be born again. That calling from out of the persuasion sin is the salvation from the power of sin, and it causes us to be born again in the scientific realm. If you think of the word regenerate, regeneration is a renewal of a body part. You ever were that sick and twisted kid that chopped off the tail of a lizard just to watch it grow back? Yeah, okay, I'm not the only one. Apparently, that's, that's all right. Um, starfish, when they lose their arms, they grow back. That is the process of regeneration. Well, in this, we see at the moment of salvation, our heart, like the Grinch's, become new. His grew three sizes that day. As a matter of fact, that's what it says. It says, and what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. A heart change. Not a behavior change. Not an attitude change. A heart change. A heart change that changes everything else. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about that. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That heart change changes everything else. If you've been with us since before Easter, we talked about it in Ephesians. If you've been with us since the fall kickoff, we talked about it in James. A heart change changes everything else. We're no longer slaves to the power of sin through our thoughts and our actions, but instead we're free to love God. We're free to live for God. We are free to appreciate the work in our lives that he is doing and then reciprocate it. It's like that song, the second song we sang. It said, forever I'm changed and forever I'm free. It's because of this regeneration. With regeneration flows our next aspect, our next step, and that is a word called justification. Justification, salvation from the penalty of sin. 
was actually laughing because the last family service we had, I used a bunch of big words and justification was one of them. So kids, you get it two times, a little double whammy. Justification is this. It is right standing before God. Before rebirth, we are guilty before God because of our sin. We are guilty before God because of our trespasses, because salvation is offered through Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. When we repent of our sins and we repent of our trespasses and we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're born again and we're no longer guilty in front of the judge. We are justified. In a similar but not perfect picture in the movie of The Grinch, he takes all the things back. He says, I'm guilty. And then he says, I'm sorry. A point of repentance. You know what happens? His slate is wiped clean. Our slate is wiped clean when we repent before the judge and declared right standing because of Jesus Christ. Justification, then comes adoption. Salvation from the position of sin. Before Christ, we are alienated from God. Before Christ, we are enemies of his. I already told you in Ephesians 2, 3 that it calls us children of wrath. But at the moment of salvation, we are adopted into his family. We're adopted into his family as a precious daughter or a precious son of the Most High King. You know what that means? That means I am an heir to his kingdom and his promises. Well, you know what happens in the story with the Grinch? The story with the Grinch is based on the fact that he gets a clean record, but he's also brought into the community of Whoville, occupying a place of high honor, so much so they let him do what? Carve the roast beast. He gets to be at the table of honor. He's adopted into the Who family, just like we're adopted into God's family. And guess what? He finds himself in a family with brothers and sisters who care about him. When you are adopted into the family of God, you are found in a family that cares about you. That then brings on the process of what we call sanctification. Salvation from the practice of sin. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ. So it simply is, the word sanctify means to set apart, to live as one with God, more like God. It's not living the perfect life, but it is to hate your old life more and more and love your new life more and more. Love your new life in Christ. Now, obviously, at this point in time, we have to veer off from the official story of the Grinch to make a few assumptions of what happens with his future in Whoville. Because the Grinch is immediately welcomed to the family of the Who's and he has this new heart and blank slate but here's, here's what happens next. We don't know. There wasn't a second one that followed up. Just lots of adaptations of it. But here's what I think will happen. He'll probably find it difficult at first to live like them. He'll have moments when he has that chest tightening of, why in the world did I move into this crazy joy-filled place? Why can't I just be back where I was? Israelites had that same problem. We have that same problem. When we're called into this new life, we look back at that old life and say, oh, but, but what if? What if I was still there? Some of the habits might cause issues within the community. Some of those ones that he's still hanging on to. But just as the human process of sanctification happens in our lives, we're slowly formed to becoming more like Jesus. I think the Grinch would slowly be formed to become more like a who. He would grow in love. He would grow in joy. He would grow in peace. Those things we might call the fruit of the Spirit. The same things that happen to us as we are being sanctified. The final step is glorification and the salvation from the presence of sin. This is the climax of it all, the final removal of sin. Now, this is also the point where we have to leave the Grinch behind, but we also have to leave our sin behind. 
We also get to leave pain behind. We also get to leave hurt behind. We also get to leave loneliness of this world behind because glorification is when we all get to heaven and what a day of rejoicing it will be. And we think about that. We get to spend eternity with our Father who has called himself unto, uh, sorry, called us unto, unto himself. He's regenerated us. He has justified us. He has adopted us. He has sanctified us. And now we get to use, be used for his glory. He's bringing glory to himself. This is our story. Wasn't that crazy how much it mirrors the Grinch's story? About being alienated and separated and moved into a reconciliation and connection. It goes from us being selfish and self-centered to being changed by the deep love of God because he sent his one and only son. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why these Christmas movies are about grace is because of that ultimate grace that God would send his only son to put on flesh, incarnate, incarnate, the whole idea of in me, that is right there. We talk about it, we see it. And because of that, we, we are able to have a relationship with him. Because of the grace he showed us, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't say, God, you better send your son to die for me because I need something like that. That was never it. He called us out. He's the one who justified us. He is the one who sanctifies us. He's the one that continues to push us on. Just like the Grinch, we couldn't change on our own. We couldn't save ourselves from ourselves. We needed that visit from the dawn on high. Aren't you grateful today that God sent his son to be that dawn on high, to give us light in the darkness and be able to see and take those steps of peace? My challenge for you today is this. Actually, I have a couple of them. The first one is, is when you watch these movies, see them for more than what the author probably wants you to see them for. See the story of grace. Share that within your family. When you guys are talking about the movie afterwards, see those things. See the connection that is there. But even more so today, if you have just now are seeing this connection of grace and what it's all about, the forgiveness that comes from Christ, that you were alienated from God, but you're brought into his family, all you have to do is repent Turn to him and trust him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, my challenge is today, do it. Do it. That's why we celebrate this season. If you have done it, my guess is you know somebody who hasn't. Be that Cindy Lou Who. Be that John the Baptist and share the message of grace. Chisel away at the heart so when that light shines on them and God calls them unto himself, we can rejoice together. Be the person that reaches out this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the way you continue to work in our lives and change us for your good. For those in here who know you already, God, we can be grateful this Christmas season, and not just Christmas season, but every moment of every day that you sent your son to live the perfect life, to die the substitutionary death so that we could have a relationship with you. God, may we live with that with the joy in our hearts as this is a season of joy and hope and peace. May we live with that because your son came. But may we also share it with those who don't know it, who are like that Charlie Brown character, who are like the Grinch, who are frustrated by the season and not fully understanding what it's all about. May we be your messengers to take the message out. We pray it all in your name. Amen.